Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. I'm John. And I'm Kevin. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look at some of our favorite action movies from the era of getting the chopper! Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. Hey, Kevin. Hi, Andrew. Are you with us? Hello. I am here. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I am always a fan of podcasts that uh, we have Andrew joining us. Hell yes. Well, that's cool. We're very, very, very excited. Yeah, we're man. Blessed. We'd be lost on this movie without you. Well, you buddy. mean You're our, we're uh, lost anyways, but that's fine. That is true. You're our Sherpa. He's our personal Ramirez. <laughs> He's teaching us the ways of the immortals that have no names. Yeah. That's right. We're back with part three of our series on Highlander. Yeah. Is it Highlander or Highlander? Um, I what think you it's like? what's your poison? High, Highland? I say I've heard it both. Highlander is, I don't know. Yeah. Highlander. Highlander doesn't have the same ring to it. Highlander. Yeah, I have no idea. Now it's in my head and I can hear it both ways. So you should have spelled it out and asked me how I said <laughs> I think, it. I think a Scottish person would probably say Highlander. Yeah. But that doesn't sound as, as majestic. Highlander sounds like a, that's your title. I'm a Highlander. Or you're like Homelander in The Boys. <laughs> yes. not yeah. Homelander. Same, basically the same dude. <laughs> One thing that is dude. for sure is it's not the Highlander, just like it's not the Eagles. It's just Eagles. And this is just Highlander. Well, this movie definitely sucks less than Eagles do as a band. True story. <laughs> The Eagles Hot are terrible. Take. They have most overrated band ever. You know, I put I slot them in the same category as Queen. Oh, Boys, oh where they have about eight, where they have about eight good songs and a whole lot of dog shit. But they don't have the the Freddie Mercury uh, factor working for them. No, I would also say that the Eagles were not nearly as proficient musically a band as Queen. I can't judge the musicianship. Yeah. I just think that. That Eagles, and I'm never going to call it, man, this is going to be amazing because this yeah. is actually topical to this episode. Yeah. Eagles, <laughs> Eagles are super overrated. And it's just like, it's like the butt rock of American yeah. classic rock. No, it's it's just like, it's yacht rock for Americana or something like that. There's a lot. We, uh, you got to go pretty far down the list of greatest bands before you hit the first American band on the list is how I feel about Interesting. it. Interesting. That's an interesting take. Probably true. Ooh. I can think of like four or five British bands that are better than the best arguable American band. I don't even know who the best American band would be. Who you would argue? I almost say you, I would almost say U2 is better than the best American band. Uh, mm -hmm. No, U2 doesn't top like a Tom Petty or Prince. That's true. Oh, no, okay. band, band. Tom, Pe Tom, Tom Petty, Petty I guess you could call a band. I mean, it, but Springsteen and the no, we got the, That's what America is. That's the American individual. We got the individual acts, but um, band wise. That's true. We uh, Americans we Elvis are more, and Americans we got Michael are Jackson, more, um, and you like, know. I'm the boss, and this is my backing group. Mm. Maybe Springsteen and his, and his crew is. Yeah, maybe. Bon Jovi. They're so short lived, though. It's tough, man. Nah. Aerosmith? One, Nir one Nirvana album takes care of all of U2's years and years of mediocrity dude would, yeah. joshua tree joshua tree is great is better a joshua tree is uh maybe not better is it equal to Nevermind? octung baby's awesome Oct i mean i like some of anyway. the you two work that's fine but yeah Nirvana they just have them. been a, a, a shell of themselves yeah anyway uh, anyway that, <laughs> I would, man that would be an awesome podcast just for us to rattle off the bands we like and don't um, but that's that's not why we're here. We're here, and Andrew no is joining us. <laughs> Andrew's joining us remotely from Houston, Texas, and we're here to talk about 
Highlander. <laughs> the high, not the Highlander. He's Highlander. a Highlander. He's an, an Highlander. Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I guess I will get us caught up on what happened in the last couple episodes. So this guy, Highlander, <laughs> uh, dukes it out in, a, in the garage of the Madison Square Garden, um, kills the guy. We see a lot of blue lightning and special effects. Um, he beats it out of there, hides his sword. Cops show up. But as he's trying to leave, he is, um, he is detained by the police. Uh, Brenda, who is a forensic scientist, finds a sword that's worth a million dollars, $10 million, a lot of money, and <laughs> dates back a billion years, super, super old sword, and is flabbergasted, as are we, why would she know what that sword is or what it's doing there? But um, so anyway, Highlander, we see through a series of flashbacks, has uh, like taken a wound but he didn't die and then everyone thinks he's a witch and he gets kicked out of his village and ostracized and he takes up residence with this chick heather then back in the real world he goes to retrieve his sword and brenda the cop comes to do some forensic science stuff and retrieve some like metal shards from the crime scene then moments later he saves her from the villain of the movie Kurgan. He kind of cornered her in a bar and yeah. made, and it was borderline, I'd like to walk you home, Brenda. Yeah. Okay. All right. He does, strange, he does some creepy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we flash back to medieval Scotland where um, everything seems to be going great for him and Heather when Sean just Connery. Just banging it out yeah. in, the, in the countryside Fully or whatever. Clothed. <laughs> and then Sean Connery's character Ramirez shows up and says, hey, buddy, you're an immortal and I can train you news that Highlander <laughs> is none too pleased about. And so that's where we pick up is like right before epic training montage. Absolutely. Yeah. Up until this point, it is almost the same as my life story. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me all about it. Tell me oh, more. Yeah, we, you just watched it. Like, you know, traveling back and forth through time. <laughs> immortal. Yeah. Survived a stab gotcha. wound. You know, standard <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the yeah, usual absolutely. shit. I had no idea when we were working together that you were an immortal. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's how I survived. That's <laughs> <laughs> how any of us survived. So we pick up, I guess, sometime later, Highlander is buying into whatever uh, Ramirez is selling. McLeod also is his name. Yeah, um, we'll call him McLeod. McLeod is asking Ramirez, well, how did this shit happen? Ramirez is like, I don't know. Who fucking knows? Yeah, I love that the writers couldn't even fabricate a backstory. They're just like, fuck it. Nobody knows. How does a, oh, our, our, uh, what, our stars not just pinholes in the curtain of night? Yeah. Uh, okay. Some things are just, you just shrug and say, that's just the way that's to just you just, the way your Bruce horns be that shit. <laughs> yeah. They, they really yeah, work right? themselves into a corner with all of this stuff because there's no way to explain how Ramirez has been around as long as he has. And now McLeod is only around for like 20 years or so, and they're somehow the same. He's also an immortal. Yeah. Yeah. I was born an immortal. Yeah, well, that's so what we don't so that's, get. That's the thing that I was talking about, and I don't know if the characters are born with this power. Yeah. And it's, no one knows why. Why it skips to yeah. you and you know someone else in your family doesn't have it or something. Would you, it would be something that they could and probably didn't, it sounds like, explore in the sequels. They do. Would you like to know how it's explained in the sequel that's worse than anything you could possibly imagine? Yeah, tell me something. Is it midichlorians? They are close. <laughs> they are aliens. They have been banished <laughs> from their no. own planet for starting a rebellion no. against some all-powerful leader, and they get blasted over to Earth, where, as rebels, then they're made in some sort of, like, Hunger Games-type situation to fight each other to the death. Um, That's fucking stupid as shit. That's like some L. Ron Hubbard-type shit right there. The general plotline of the second movie also deals with protecting Earth from a hole in the ozone layer, so, like, they really went off the rails. <laughs> This is the best we got for a sequel. Yeah, yeah. the best the aliens thing. We're bringing Connery back, terrible. That's bizarre. That's the worst bullshit I've ever heard. That was like that killed me in uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, and I'm like, fucking aliens. I'm okay with the I idea of aliens that. in Indiana Jones, just because of you've already got like supernatural things, like mostly well, religious this themes. Got supernatural things. Yeah, but then, but then yeah. to explain it away by being like eh, aliens. Yeah, it's dumb. Aliens? Question mark. Does that <laughs> work for you? Is that the next movie in the series? <laughs> <Yeah>. Aliens? 
Anyway. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. I, th- I feel like also, though, Connery's questions about why does the sun come up? Are stars just pinholes in the curtain of night? But these are it's things like, we know the answers to. Yeah, Dick there are answers Buck. to those, but maybe they didn't know them in the 1500s, but these are, there are answers to these questions. Yeah. Galileo. <laughs> he probably met Galileo, for Christ's sake. Anyway. But he says because the, they're different, people are always going to fear them and try to hurt them. So McLeod flashes back to the mob attacking him some years earlier, and then he gets kind of sad. Ramirez says to him, you know, you must learn to conceal your powers until the time of the gathering. Ramirez explains that is when the few remaining people like them, they're all going to feel drawn to a faraway land where they fight each other for the prize. Whatever any of that means. There is zero need to conceal their powers because there is nothing showing their powers. Correct. Other than just don't get killed a lot. Don't get your yeah, head don't chopped Don't suffer off. a grievous injury. Don't get, and don't get your, like, your arm lopped off or don't get, yeah, don't get your gut spilled yeah, out we, and then you're we fine We haven't again. determined if, if it's like a regeneration <laughs> a salamander. thing. Because we, we kind of gather that they can scar. Scar yes. tissue is yeah. a thing. Good call. I think if you lost a limb, it's gone. Yeah. That's why I'm saying that there's a lot of, in the battle sequences especially, okay. why people aren't <laughs> aiming for arms and legs is beyond me. <laughs> But basically, that's the linchpin for the plot. Yeah, unclear what the prize is. It What doesn't make a lot of sense is, yeah, is this a cycle that just repeats over and over? That's yeah. my theory, is that they narrow down to one, and then the whole, like, then a new group of immortals are, like, spawned or some type mm. shit. Do you think they've ever gotten down to one? Do you think? Well, I how, don't think if it, not, how does anyone know what what the prophecy no, is? No one knows. With the problem. <laughs> that's what so. I'm saying is it's never happened. People, people are going on their own. Everyone seems to know guess. what's going to happen. Though. I don't know. But anyway, okay. We can't, you can't go down that road because yeah. we'll be here There's all too night. many questions. <laughs> so it's going to cut to a Rocky style montage, mm-hmm. which I got to tell you guys, I was enjoying the movie so far just because it's bonkers, but I was not like genuinely like compelled by it. Until you get to a training montage, and then I'm like fucking all in. Yeah, because like, oh man, this is how I would be if I was uh, a new oh, yeah, running around with a new s- immortal, swinging yeah. your sword in the woods and shit. Um, Ramirez has McLeod like sprinting along himself uh, while he's riding horseback on the beach. They're practicing their sword fighting. Ramirez is doling out this like Miyagi like wisdom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Ramirez seems to imply that you can only be killed by beheading. That's useful to know. Uh huh. The training continues, more running, more sword fighting, more wisdom. Heather is getting a kick out of watching McLeod get his ass kicked. And then he's just bizarrely like, Heather, please. And it's uh, like, what the fuck is this? Is that acting? What is that? It was pretty rough. There are yeah. a few moments in this montage where I was like, like the part where Ramirez seems to like miss McLeod, which makes McLeod start to like yuck it up like he did something good, only to be shocked when Ramirez's single sword strike like knocks a whole tree down it crushes McLeod. So that's all right. So if all let's say all of your bones are broken, what happens to your body then? Do you still live? The bones definitely fuse back together quickly, I think. Maybe you have to set them, but then they I don't know. No one knows. We're never going to know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that the screenwriters could have explained. I would love to pursue what it means to break all the bones in a Highlander's body and then rearrange them however you want cuz you just like a skin Ooh. sack at that point. Um, but one of the things I think is critical to talk about with the movie is why Ramirez is helping another immortal. Yeah. I've, I've wondered this myself is, is, is there a group of immortals that they're like, we're not playing this game anymore and we're fine with the status quo. He's the Jedi basically. I think no, I think he's got to train light side, you know, uh, is there a light side? Light side immortals. He can't have Kurgan winning. Yeah, the morality Kurgan of this can't is win. unclear. That's the thing, I think, is that he wants to help other people who he thinks are good immortals, I guess, mm-hmm. so that there's plenty of people to maybe beat Kurgan. Right. That's my thought It's got on it. That's the only thing that I could think of that made sense. With the Kurgan, it's got some sort of like Dracula vampire sort of like vibe to it yeah. of like, you know, he's sort of a Vlad the Impaler type character who would make all of Earth his slave if he wins the prize, which is seemingly omnipotence and omniscience. Um, Whereas, and and he acknowledges, Ramirez says at one point, the Kurgan's the strongest of all of them, so they have to like train each other or work together to make sure that like the Kurgan doesn't win. But 
Oh, that all right. Well, then that makes sense then. The way you gain power though is by beheading the other ones. So it would make the most sense for you to kill as many of the other ones as you could before the Kurgan got to them, <laughs> so that then you could overpower the Kurgan. Or why didn't a bunch of light side? like righteous immortals get together and go after this dude in one big group. Ooh, yeah. For sure. What is it against the rules to like team fight? I don't know. Highlander game theory is, <laughs> is a whole show that we get into. I think. Oh man, we'll, we'll get into it too. In the last battle. I've, or maybe this will answer a lot of questions. We'll get to it later, yeah. but we should probably move on for now. We'll move on. <laughs> I think, I, I think we hit the nail on the head. I think he wants to, I think we're not particularly close to the gathering yet. Right. He can sense that. So he wants to create as many, whatever, righteous immortals, immortals. as possible in case, cause you know, there's no guarantee he'll make it to the gathering. Right. Or any one of them will. They don't survive that far. But anyway, there's amazing Scottish scenery and yeah. all this shit. making me just want to travel. McLeod yeah. wants to know if Ramirez would kill him if they were the last two remaining. Ramirez does not answer the question. Right. Just laughs it off. So that's definitely not a no. He says, we must fight until only one remains. You're safe only on holy ground. None of us will violate that law. It's tradition. This is an important point to remember. Yeah. More lore, though, without any explanation, you know, but. The wig on Lambert is terrible in this <laughs> shot, by the way. And uh, all the shots here with the, I guess, the sword fighting stunt double, terrible wigs. Yeah. Terrible wigs. Which, God, why did they not cast a person who had the chops? I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, later on, they're walking on the beach. They come across a stag, as you do. Yeah, this whole part, I'm like, what is, what's the importance of this scene? Let's, all right, but first we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, the filmmakers had apparently glued antlers onto a stag because it wasn't the, the season for mm. them to have antlers when they were filming, and the thing was just trying to get the antlers off the whole time, you know? It's, That's rough. It sounds twisted. That's and then nice. I saw where some of it was like stock footage from National Geographic or some that, shit. It didn't, it looked out of place. Yeah. So Ramirez urges McLeod to learn the final lesson, tells McLeod to feel the stag, feel its heartbeat and feel its blood coursing. Things are getting kind of sensual, I thought. It was like, <laughs> it, was, it was borderline like erotic. Ramirez then takes off running and tells McLeod, come on! We hear the heartbeats, they like seem to sync up and McLeod joyfully is screaming that he can feel the stag. Uh, they run down the beach like fucking Rocky and Apollo. Everyone and is thrilled. But I'm not sure what the lesson learned is. It's like feeling the so feeling the force almost. Okay, I think so. You can like, feel a life force sometimes, but then throughout the rest of the movie, he is flabbergasted when people show up unannounced. When yeah. Kurgan just shows up, can Kurgan like still his heart? Sometimes, like oh, Kurgan probably can. Sometimes he does seem to sense something is a sometimes, and then other times it's like someone steps out from around a corner. It's like, oh my god, I didn't know you were there. It's it's. This lesson to I'm like I get it. I I felt like it was supposed to be a lesson in sensing a life force or syncing with a life force, but it never like maybe as a tracking a, a way to track something. I don't know what would be the upside to syncing with the stag. The only thing that I can think of after my years of watching this movie because I I do I feel like it's out of place and I feel like this is what they intended what I'm about to say, but it doesn't come across is at the very end. When we know who has won the prize, that is described as being like hearing all the thoughts of all, like uh, being mm -hmm. acknowledging all existence all at once. And so maybe okay. the like modicum of quickening he's gotten at this point allows him to feel the stag. And so it's just like a teaser. It's like Ramirez giving him the first hit for free so that he's into the drug and wants to, uh, <laughs> But yeah, it just doesn't. You're just taking your first step into a much larger world. Yeah, it exactly. only works on lower mammals. Yeah, so, so he's far. he's okay. the Yoda. He's the Yoda here before we get to the future where it's Terminator time again. Um, gotcha. <laughs> All right, I can live with that. But yeah, I, like I think that, that I think that's kind of what they were trying to explain is that you would know, like you're connected to all life and you can feel and sense it but like right you're it's like you're feeling the force you're like feeling that little the, the rock the, the yeah. tree flowing through all living things or whatever right. it's <laughs> exactly that, like that bit where yoda's like feel it through the rock the tree the ship the land <laughs> so then yeah they take off down the beach like 
it is almost shot for shot Rocky three, yeah. like Apollo and and Rocky racing on the on the beach. Yeah, Ramirez yells, "This is the quickening!" as they run up on a cliff yes. and jump off in the ocean. Okay, it's, it's fucking. Not. It's literally not though, right? No, <laughs> the quickening is when the one dies and you're absorbing their powers. There's got to be a lot of blue lightning going on. Yeah. But even like when McLeod was standing on the side of the hill, just taking lightning bolts, Connery was like, that's the quickening. I was like, what? All right. So what's going on? Is it, I think, I think the quickening in general is a life force. Okay. Maybe. Maybe it's just the tapping into the, the bigger world or whatever. There's the quickening. Maybe he's using it in, maybe he's using it in the sense of this is the quickening, like you're getting faster and we're sure. Delivered a terrible <laughs> pun. <laughs> now, later on. He would have been awesome if he yelled, get it? <laughs> <laughs> later on, they're sword fighting on top of a mountain. McLeod disarms Ramirez, whose katana falls roughly a thousand feet into a cut, into like a chasm, which fucking sucks. Those for two him. people are definitely not Sean Connery or no. Christopher Lambert. It no. would have been hard to get the fuck up there. I know Sean Connery didn't yeah. go up that mountain. Man, how the hell are they ever going to find that sword? No. There's no chance. No, maybe chance. he can feel it. Maybe he can feel it through the quickening. Through the maybe he's, he can like force. Uh, bring it back to him. I don't think that's within their purview. Maybe he'll ask the deer to go get it. (laughs) Stag. Sword. (laughs) McLeod revels while Ramirez is like looking over the edge for that sword and all that was missing was like someone just yelling Drago. (laughs) Drago! Yeah. Yeah. He's like waving arms up in the The, air. The camera circling around. They certainly burn a lot of energy to get to the mountaintops to practice their sword fighting rather than just staying (laughs) on the the ground. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, damn. And it is good for your cardio, I suppose. Yeah, one part of the training. <laughs> but later on, Ramirez, he seems to be giving McLeod his final test as a swordsman in the forest. McLeod seems to have surpassed Ramirez in skill at this point. McLeod knocks Ramirez down, holds his sword against Ramirez's throat. For a moment, it seems like maybe McLeod is going to kill him. But then McLeod helps him get up and I uh, got it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it. That sword fighting was more dog shit, though. Those guys aren't swordsmen. They, I mean, no. I think they took three total swings. Three, yeah, three it, it was uh, just like strikes. I, nowadays, that would not fly. No. You know, you see like fucking uh, you and McGregor out there fucking killing the game. Yeah. They went through hours of sword fighting training for that. Yeah. When you're doing it on the cheap and in the 80s, I guess this is when you got the cannon people running the show. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we happens. don't have it in the budget to teach you how to use these weapons. But so later on, there's this festival going on in the village. Heather seems to be in the process of buying a chicken. My favorite mm. part is the two Scots beating each other senseless. Yeah, I like this, whatever this market town is, where there's there's dancing, music, and these two just giant dudes wailing <laughs> on each other. That is the quickening. <laughs> everything, fuck it, everything's not the quickening, dude. Yeah, it's like everything yeah, is the quickening. the quickening. We're brothers! No, I think that's my new, huh? that's going to be my new shut up and enjoy the diehard. Everything without an explanation is the quickening. That's the quickening. What do you think this is? the quickening. It's fine. What, the, what the hell's going on in the background over there? Oh, that's the, that's that's the, the quickening. quickening. That's the quickening. We're Don't brothers. worry about that. <laughs> yeah. That's some drunken ass Sean Connery. I love that. But um, yeah, Ramirez and McLeod, they're walking and talking. McLeod says he wants a family. Ramirez. Yeah, like, what the? All I want is a family. Uh, Cry me a river, bitch. Like, <laughs> what? McLeod, uh, yeah. Ramirez is telling him basically their kind can't have children. Oh. Which does he mean literally cannot or that this do they should not? I think that they cannot. They've been doing I, a lot. You know what? We've been seeing he and Heather have been doing a lot of fucking, and they yeah. don't have a kid yet, so that right. would sort of make sense. And it's been several years, years that he's been yeah. on the lamb. He is, a, so, he is a carcass full of blue lightning. That's all he is. <laughs> he's shooting full nothing of, but blue lightning. Full of quick. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you know, he screams that during, that's the quickening. Do you feel what? it? <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. You, yeah. I don't know. Did you feel the quickening? <laughs> you feel the quickening? <laughs> She's that's, like, it was pretty quick. You come online, like when you're when you're out with the ladies. Like, would you like to experience the quickening? Oh man, it's gonna be quick. I promise. <laughs> so Heather returns victoriously with her chicken. McLeod gives her a hug. She then wanders off. Says she's going to buy a dress. He gropes the shit out of her ass. He gets a real big handful. <laughs> I love that when she buys the chicken and she's like running over. He like lifts his hands in the air, yeah, like way to go it. with the chicken. You did it. I like that. We should all be it's our like women's she's a child. cheerleaders. 
Yeah, that's exactly. I got the vibe too. It's like this simpleton. <laughs> she I'm managed watching to out buy for a her. chicken. I gave her some play money. <laughs> <laughs> I said, told her to bring me the change. She better. <laughs> oh shit! So she wanders off again. She's going to go look for a dress. McLeod is deeply in love with her. Right. And Ramirez is telling her, you got to leave her, which is also vaguely just reminiscent of Jedi culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like no attachments or whatever the fuck, which I told John about this recently, but I saw some uh, recent quote from George Lucas. Right. Where he was like saying, well, doesn't Jedi's don't have to be celibate. Yeah. They're just not allowed to have attachments. It's like a, it's like the Night's Watch in Game of Thrones. The dudes can, can go, go into Mole Town and fuck all they want to, even though those dudes are supposed to be celibate. But it's like, as long as you don't get, you can't, just can't get married. You're not uh-huh. supposed to father children, but mm-hmm. you can fuck all you want like, to. So then I saw somebody online was saying like, when the Jedi's peacing out in the morning, he's like, may the force be with you. Cause I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cold. Cold. Um, but so McCloudy's sulking at this bad news. Ramirez tells him that he was born 2,437 years ago and he's had three wives in his time. He says his last wife was a Japanese princess and her father made his katana form in 593 BC. The name he dropped, uh, Masamuna, Masamune. Yeah. Masamune. Like that was actually apparently a like real life renowned sword maker. So that's kind of cool. He says the sword is one of a kind, just like his wife had been. Oh, he's like a wife guy. He says that when she died, he was shattered and he's trying to spare McLeod that pain. He didn't give a shit about his first two wives. All right. Fuck those bitches. I wonder how old would you have to be before you lose track of how old you are? Like, do you count every birthday? I'm 2,437 now. I, I forget now. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm 37. <laughs> you're the same. You're the same age as the peasant in Monty Python. I'm 37. <laughs> I know. 37. I, I've been saying that all what? year. I'm 37. I'm not no. old. I can't just call you mad. <laughs> I didn't know you were cold, Dennis. <laughs> You did bother find out, <laughs> did you? <laughs> so, McCloud, he's staring at Heather. Ominous music is swelling. Well, the look that Heather kind of throws back is also kind of shady. Like, yeah. she's, she, I don't know, like, she's picked up on some vibe from Ramirez or something. I'm not sure, but. But apparently they don't subscribe to, like, the better to have loved and lost philosophy. It's just no. like, better, better to not have loved Better to at save all. yourself the headache. Just uh, fuck just whores in- like me, says, says uh, <laughs> Ramirez. Fucking <laughs> two thousand years of whores. I mean, I think I think that this is one of the prevailing themes of the movie, and one of the better Queen songs that pops out of this of the "Who Wants to Live Forever," which is mm-hmm. like, yeah, that would be painful. Like to have to. I mean, I think about it with dogs. Like when we have our pets, like I outlive them. It sucks, mm-hmm. and like. Yeah, it's a hard thing. It's hard, and so like to think that like you got that level of attachment with a pet, a person that can reciprocate that love in the same way back to you and express it, like that would be like really painful. So I don't think it's terrible advice that Ramirez is giving. Yeah, I think him. Ramirez is trying to do him a solid. I think he's trying to he's tell trying him like protect. To, I think he's yourself. trying to give him that good advice. But think about how long two thousand years is. Oh yeah, like can't he, imagine two thousand four, and he lived four hundred and thirty-seven years. On four hundred years is a fucking long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anyway, later on, back at the McLeod Castle, Ramirez is reminding McLeod that the first time they'd met, McLeod suddenly felt ill. Mm-hmm. Ramirez is speculating that wasn't the first time he felt that way, was it, or whatever the fuck? You know, McLeod, you're right. He recalls the day where he battled the Kurgan and the Kurgan stabbed him. Ramirez tells him that was a Kurgan. And it was that first that, that was that incident that led him to finding McLeod. No further explanation given with that. I did some research though on the internet that I'll get to, but okay. that was just fucking odd to me. It is. But yeah, I had read somewhere. I don't know if I don't know if this is retconned or if this is canon or what, but basically like in the Highlander verse, immortals don't become like magical and stop aging until they've lived through their first death experience. Mm. Interesting. Is what I is that's what I read. Oh, so I think okay. when when Kurgan stabbed McLeod at, and he came near death, like that was flipping on the fucking lowjack or whatever that okay. Ramirez could use to now f- feel him. Yeah, oh, that's out fair. There. I like that plot point. That's cool. I don't know how the Kurgan found him. That also but, explains the big plot hole that I've seen or I've felt for all these years, which is why is Ramirez so much older looking and in like body? Right. right. So if he yeah. lived till he was like. 50 or 60 or whatever before he had a 
a uh, near death experience, then yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's, I, that's what I read. I don't know if that comes from the filmmakers that just fans trying to make it make sense, but I'll buy it. There's no way that the filmmakers came up with that. They couldn't explain any, <laughs> well, maybe by the third movie. or fourth sequel or some shit. Okay. Well, by that time they were aliens. <laughs> yeah, they were aliens. By that time they quickly they forgot that. And they, it was too they took that shit out. It became non-canon. <laughs> that's something we told you. It wasn't true. But yeah, I think that explains all the different ages. Maybe Kurgan's just so much older and more ancient than the others that he can sense them even before they become immortal. I don't know. Because otherwise, we don't know how he found McLeod here. 18-year-old. Yeah. Uh, 18-year-old Lambert. That kills me that he's supposed to be 18. Anyway, moving on. Which means he's supposed to be locked in at appearing 18 the rest of the movie. And he is definitely a 40-year-old man. Oh, yeah. For sure. He looks, yeah, he looks older from start to finish, too. No doubt. (laughs) I just don't know why they bothered to make him 18. Or why they they claimed he was 18 in the beginning. Yeah. Didn't make sense. So, Ramirez explains that the Kurgans were an ancient people from the steppes of Russia for amusement, they toss children into pits with hungry dogs to fight for meat. Mm. Fucking shit. The Kurgan, he's the strongest of the immortals. He's the perfect warrior. If he wins the prize, mortal man would suffer an eternity of darkness. So he's like on the dark side of the force shit. And that is my understanding of that makes me think that's why Ramirez is trying to help. Um, and I also this was this is the point where, you know, we discovered that it is, he is, in fact, a Kurgan. He's one of many he Kurgans. Is a Kurgan. He's the last, like he's the last Kurgan, Kurgan, Kurgan from though. The, so I think it's fair that he's now the Kurgan. The Kurgan okay. or just Kurgan in my book? I might, call, I might call him a Kurgan. A Kurgan. <laughs> <laughs> just because I was like, all right, he's one. So McLeod wonders how we could ever fight such a savage. And uh, Ramirez says, with heart, faith, and steel. That's in, not an answer. In the end, there can be only one. Uh, okay. So it doesn't help. Yeah, that doesn't again, sound optimistic. Though. Yeah. So what, like, again, is Ramirez going to be, is he going to let McLeod kill him or is he going to kill McLeod? Like let McLeod do the dirty work and then sneak up on him from behind and take his quickening. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's going to be like a, we're going to fucking gang up on him situation. Yeah, I think yeah. That's what, uh, that's what he's hoping for. I would, I would assume. Then I don't know what the fuck happens after that. Nonsense. <laughs> Later, Ramirez is talking with Heather about his tales of adventures and fucking like banging chicks. Yeah. It sounded like the storm a brewing as ever in yeah. the background. Where the fuck is McCloud? That's that needed to be explained. We needed the verbal explainer. Where is McCloud? He must outhouse. be far away. Taking shit. a massive shit. Yeah. A big shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's from the haggis. There's a, too much haggis. You are a haggis. You're a haggis. You're a haggis. That's yeah, that's vital info that I would have liked to have had because he's nowhere to be found when he's needed most. Chopping wood or blacksmithing, yeah. who knows? He's he's away know. from yeah, business. Anyway, Ramirez, Maybe he was in market town. That's still. what I think he's off in town doing something. Yeah. I don't know. Delivering a goat or <laughs> some shit. But uh Ramirez is telling stories of his fucking sexual conquest. She's pouring the wine out. Of <laughs> the glass bottle, which I do not think was a thing in the year 1541. Yeah, probably not. But um, it was like we were one drink away from them to fucking. Yeah, they, like, like, they, the, the story that he's telling about how he showed up to romance one woman, but the woman wasn't there. So he romanced the woman who was. Yeah, she was into That's it. Pretty too. badass. <laughs> um, now, Ramirez gets spooked when all these birds start flying around the castle rafters. Saw some John Woo shit. Ramirez, he warned Heather to get out of there. He has felt a quickening. He felt, oh, I felt the quickening. He felt a stag. The Kurgan breaks through the door. He smiles as he recognizes Ramirez. So they've they've fought before and both lived to tell the tale. It seems they all know each other's names. Yeah, a Kurgan has fought twice already in this movie and been like, "All right, I'll be back later. Catch you later. I'll get you later." <laughs> it's like wait Kurgan doesn't it's like he doesn't want to kill anybody I don't get it anyway. yes he enjoys savoring the whatever whatever the, the fuck this is um, yeah he's thrilled to see Ramirez though he's like yes. fuck yes oh you it's you Kurgan he breaks the large oak table in half with one swing of his sword Kurgan demands to know where is the Highlander mm-hmm. Ramirez says it's too late because he's I've trained him to battle you I don't know why the Kurgan's so obsessed with Highlander yeah, I don't either. Like, what's the? I, maybe because he's green, he can like nip this in the bud before he gets good. Maybe and, that's and what it take is. A, take his quickening. Like, yeah, good before th- he's a threat. I don't know, but they get to sword fight, and the two of them. Ramirez slashes Kurgan's throat pretty deep, 
Uh, Ramirez seems to have the upper hand as Kurgan is completely defensive. He's chasing Kurgan around the castle. Man, there is a lot of like, he slashes his throat and then there's like this prolonged fighting stance instead of like, get in there and shut his head off. (laughs) Yes, agreed. Ramirez, he knocks Kurgan off the staircase. Yeah, but at least we, we got to give him credit for at least he went for the headshot right but off. He's he, not like uh, just trying to stab dudes and yeah, don't, slash but, bellies but, or whatever. Yeah. But so he, he knocks Kurgan off this high staircase. Uh, Kurgan gets up, continues the fight. Ramirez taking his sweet ass time coming down. It's, it seems like Kurgan's sort of already recovered from his wound, which maybe you do recover that fast, I yeah. guess, in this world. Kurgan seems to be taking control of the fight. Big swing of the sword knocks this hole in the wall of the castle. That drives me insane. Does that bugged you? Yeah, because with Agreed. one chop, like it took him three chops to get through the oak door. One chop to chop the table in half. <laughs> and with one swing, he knocks down the entirety of the top half of the castle. <laughs> yeah, I agree that there are all kinds of inconsistencies in the battle because also, like, is Ramirez that strong? And if so, I think they are. Yeah, then I, I just he don't didn't understand. Knock that tree down. We saw. Yeah, yeah but still, like <laughs> I'm like, why then? I don't know. Kurgan should have been short ahead. The movie should have been over. Yeah, four yes. seconds ago. Well, also <laughs> Heather should have run out at this point because she's down on the bottom floor. Yeah, she by herself. left the building. They've climbed she's just the stairs. Chilling out watching, and she's just down there screaming, just shrieking. Now there's yeah, now there's like stones all toppling down around her, and she's still just chilling out. Yeah, another big swing and knocks down another wall. It seems like the whole castle is going to come down. Mm-hmm. I did think the effects were pretty decent for what they were. I don't know how they were yeah. accomplished, but it looked pretty good. But I also don't understand, like, an, if you're swinging away and hitting a castle wall, that wall not going to fall inward most of the time, I would say. Yeah. And several of these walls fall inward when he hits them. This is, we don't understand how the quickening works. That is the quickening. (laughs) Yeah, chalk it up to the quickening. (laughs) The quickening, my friend, the quickening. I will say that um, uh, Clancy Brown's like throat gurgling noises when he had his throat slit was especially gross and and disgusting. (laughs) He's like, like, (laughs) that was pretty awesome. So Kurgan goes, he knocks another wall down, exposing them to the full like lightning storm that's going on outside. Ramirez stabs Kurgan in the belly. <laughs> because why? 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 Cut off his sword arm. Kurgan's screaming in pain. Kurgan pulls the blade out of his belly, forces Ramirez down and slices his chest. Again, yeah. why? Uh, but Kurgan stands Ramirez up, st- runs him through yep. from behind, I believe. Again, uh, I don't know what. Why are we wasting all the time with the belly and the chest? I guess it's just causing agony. But again, like yeah. Ramirez knows all these guys know the score. Like ample opportunity to remove heads, but instead everyone's stab happy or belly slashing happy. I don't. I just. I don't yeah. get it. The rest of the castle all falls away now, and Ramirez and Kurgan they're up on this like freestanding staircase. Cool shot there. You're digging I like, that I like, shit. I like, yeah, yeah. I like the light, the lighting and stuff. So Heather's down there screaming. Kurgan asks who that is. Ramirez says that she's his woman. Kurgan says, not for much longer uh, or some type shit. Uh, Ramirez spits in Kurgan's face and Kurgan says, Ramirez is going to sleep in hell tonight. Pretty rough. He delivers the old uh, ubiquitous, there can be only one and lops Ramirez's head off. It's basically like Obi-Wan and Darth Vader yeah. vibes on this. Uh, 100%. There's a whole, whole lot of lightning and thunder. That's like the transfer of power, right? That's what we think. You're absorbing yeah, so, that dude's quickening or some shit. Is the is the quickening experience different for every immortal? Because we saw in the first few minutes of the movie that when McCloud absorbed Fazil's business, that there was some like levitating and blue lightning and stuff. But when Kurgan, he goes into some kind of trance and he's convulsing and sort of make an O face, nothing happens with the body. There's just a, a lot of lightning and convulsing and I don't, I don't know. I get the impression that it's uh, proportionate to the number or disproportionate to the number that are left um, because the final quickening that we see knocks down like a city block. So like as more and more of them are killed, perhaps maybe it does like a greater and greater quickening. You absorb more and more power. I wonder that too is like, it, like you yeah, have Kurgan's killed, say, 20,000 immortals in his life that when you kill Kurgan, 
that it's it's gonna it's gonna be like an atom yeah. bomb goes off. Ooh, that, it could be that Ramirez hasn't killed that many guys if he's more or less a good guy. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering too. Just willy nilly. Yeah, and then Fazil, maybe not a master swordsman, good but not great, and so his the quickening absorption episode is not as grandiose as killing someone like Ramirez, who maybe has killed more guys than Fazil. Interesting. Then you kill Kurgan, and his shit is like holy fucking hell. It's like like aliens and stuff crawling out of his body. I was going to say that brings up an interesting question that I had not yet considered, which was what was the starting number of immortals or what is the, what's the total? I've, I've never thought about that before. It, I've always thought it was like, man, gotta be pretty high. 15. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, it could I be anything. thousands over time, tens of thousands, probably. When new you think- that's why it doesn't make sense that there's new ones being born, and some have been around for 6,000 years already. That, see, that, weird. I, I jibe with that more just because the universe is a mystical place. And yeah. so if someone's born an immortal, then it's like, all right, you're continuing the, the thing. But how how is an immortal chosen, I guess, is like my biggest thing. It's like Maybe that's why the Kurgan's so be- mad is because he was like on the cusp of killing the last one, but the moment before a new one was born. And so he's like, they, they've been coming and he's like, God damn it, I can't finish this process. This fucking whack-a-mole. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. We're, I'm sensing Kurgan's frustration here. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, the staircase then collapses under Kurgan's weight. Heather goes in for a closer look. Why? Smart fucking move, Heather. Get the hell out of Kurgan there. Kurgan pops out of the rubble and grabs her by the throat. It's like, you got to know better than that. She should have been long gone. Hello, pretty. Hello, pretty hair. No, that's uh, uh, that's the night slasher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cut to McLeod is staring out the window of his apartment. His buzzer rings. He, he goes downstairs. He to has me. finally changed clothes at this point. All right. A fresh, he got a fresh outfit on. His buzzer rings. He goes downstairs to his store. He finds his receptionist. She's trying to shoo away Brenda, who had come in there looking to to find McLeod, who she thinks is Nash. Right. Uh, she had definitely dolled herself up for this visit. She had like, you know, she was looking pretty good there. Got a blowout. He asked. Yeah, yeah. she had. She had. She was looking to make an impression here. She looks like she got a perm. Yeah. Got it wet. And then hung her head out the cab window on the way over to dry it. I mean, it is like, it is all over it's the all place. Over. It She's is doing crazy, her thing, man. Well, in, crazy and in, in theory, this is like the next morning after they're running with yeah. the Kurgan that night. So, like, she's had a right. lot of a lot of time to get shit done. Let me yeah, go sure. get spruced up and come back to try to charm this uh, Highlander. So he asks what she wants. She says she came seeking his advice about a seven-foot lunatic hacking away with a broadsword at one in the morning in New York City. It was like a very speedy delivery, uh-huh. the way she, like she did it. She'd had it prepared. It was like a madcap delivery. He said he doesn't know about the broadsword. She then wants to know what he knows about a Japanese sword from 600 BC. He says, look, I don't deal in exotic weapons. Then he just grabs her and sort of drags her away to speak privately. It's weird to just put your hands on a stranger. Then he asks her if she cooks. Yeah. And it's like suggesting that they, you want to cook me dinner, basically. You're a woman, right? Like, I was thinking we'd have dinner. He is the creepiest man. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And the fucking receptionist, Rachel, she seems pleased. She's she living for his game. She's like, she's happy to see McLeod macking again. Apparently. <laughs> um, oh, we don't know again. their back. We don't know their backstory yet, but we will learn it soon enough. Now, back at police headquarters, the detective, he's telling the lieutenant that he saw Brenda at Nash's antique shop. Presumably, they have McLeod under surveillance, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was getting big nostalgia from that old school Doritos bag yeah. that he was yeah, eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old design. <laughs> Walt. Reminds me, of fish, reminded me of fishing trips with my dad when I was real. Yeah, little. I like that Walt, Walt is shoeless in eating Doritos <laughs> and telling Frank about how he was. Yeah, he's either tailing Brenda or he accidentally saw her at McLeod's antique shop. Right. I think he's I think he's staked out I think they're staking yeah. out McLeod at yeah. this point. Agreed. Do you let your disgusting lieutenant put his shoeless feet up on your desk after a night of stakeout? I guess. I don't know. I don't know. This was the subordinate that had his feet yeah. off his shoes off? Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Those feet reek. The, we don't know the, the politics of their relationship, but yeah, that's Those pretty Those two nasty. guys spent a lot of time together. Like I think Walt is Walt is the guy that, like, he's probably Frank's best lieutenant, whatever, so probably. When they were both going through their third divorce, <laughs> they were sleeping on each other's couches. Uh, eating Doritos. <laughs> eating Doritos. Sucking Dorito crumbs <laughs> off the table. Now, later on that night, 
McLeod is just chilling in his pitch black apartment. Looking out the window. Looking out the window, pensive. The receptionist Rachel enters. That shit had me thinking like, oh, damn, him and Rachel are like a thing as well. They had a thing going on the side. But he's able to detect her presence, asks her what she wants. She says that, uh, you know, if people come asking about you, what am I supposed to tell them? And he says to tell them that he's immortal. I like all the the stuff you get um like a mommy vibe or caretaker vibe from her immediately because she goes yeah. over and like starts tying his tie for him and stuff. So I, I didn't I didn't ever get a sexy vibe, but immediate like even at the end of this scene. Mm-mm. Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she knows about his true nature. We gather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there's a smash cut to McLeod running across a battlefield in World War II. A literal smash cut. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one that, that bugged this, you. This was the one that I was like, "That that is the worst transition the, I've ever seen." The lion transition later gets me too, it, like straight from like romantic sex to like lion snarl. But at least that was like from when this was like a bad PowerPoint. Yeah, it looked like broken glass, <laughs> but like d- done in a lawnmower man style. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That is a great call. Exactly like lawnmower man. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, McLeod, he's running across this World War II battlefield. German troops are swarming around. McLeod finds a little girl hiding in a barn. It's young Rachel. She says that her family's all dead. It was giving me like strong Newt from Aliens vibes. Mm-hmm. He picks her up, carries her out of the barn, but he gets shot in the back by a Nazi. The Nazi is approaching. McLeod rolls over, yanks the machine gun away from him. and Well, but I want to I wanna ask real quick. Where are they? Because to hear her talk, she sounds... They're in France. British. They're supposed going, to be in I'm France. I'm going France. Because she sounds English later on. Oh, that's true. And, like, the Nazis never, never set foot in Great Britain. They, they bombed the Brit- shit out of it. I guess it. they were Brits and in so then, France. The only thing I could think of is that, like, he adopted her and she was educated in Great Britain or something. Yeah, like that. that's true. If he had been, maybe took her to England and it, raised her it's there. It's the quickening. We'll go with that. Her accent is the quickening. It's true. It's true. My question but, here is why he's not like hero of the battlefield. Like he could go out. Why didn't he join up? He could go out like a fighting? Wolverine. Cause I think there's one of those. Yeah. Um, you'll never get beheaded in a, in a machine gun battle. Yeah. I think that there's like one of the X-Men where Wolverine's fighting in world war two and he's like, you know, King Nazi killer. Um, I feel like this could be his move. Also, he's a badass. He knows they how have to some sort fight. of code, but they never talk about like code of like, don't interfere in human affairs type shit, but they never talk about that. Yeah. If yeah. he's, if he's already trained to fight hundreds of years before this, why is he not using his powers for awesome? Yeah. For good. Why is he, yeah. why is yeah. he running? Just walk. If you get shot, you get shot. You're going to heal. <laughs> that's also that's, a, yeah, good that's a great point too just like it's like superman ducking from guns it's that kind of shit yeah <laughs> so mcleod he's got this nazi at gunpoint and the nazi starts speaking some german to him then he says whatever you say jack you're the master race which felt like anachronistic dialogue mm-hmm. to me i'm like that's way more modern i think than how people were talking like in the 30s I'll, i think i've gathered from the german i always like to figure out what people are saying but it sounds like like he tells the dude to move and the guy's like, nope, you'll have to shoot me. Okay. Yeah. So whatever you say, dude. Yeah. McLeod mows him down. Then he scoops up young Rachel, walks away. Back in 1985, Rachel is telling McLeod that she can tell that he's lonely and he refuses to let anyone love him. And I, I personally felt like the chemistry between uh, Lambert and this actress was a lot better than the chemistry that he has with the Brenda actress. But it's also like, straight up creepy that yeah he's basically like her father yeah that's figure. what i got and yeah. so you can't really go sexy. down that road but um she's his ward. yeah i wish they had tried to like imply the romantic element before they realized like revealed that the the love and the yeah. closeness that they have is because he's known her since she was a child and like adopted her because it, mm-hmm. it makes it a hundred times creepier infinitely more creepy <laughs> that we see that he he picked her up and grabs her off a battlefield in france and now they stole her away now She's his. <laughs> so he, uh, they, they caress each other's faces. Mm-hmm. Just a good old platonic face caress. McLeod gives her a platonic kiss on the cheek. Mm-hmm. He walks out the door to the store to go off to, to meet Brenda. I can't for the life of me figure out why he's so enamored by Brenda. What is it? What is yeah, it? What it, has it, she got? It, that I wish that like, there had been some like cuts of he sees her and it immediately like reminds him of 
some like Heather or something Someone, like that. But it's like he it was like he basically just thunderstruck saw her and, in the parking garage, but didn't and even really stalking but her. But didn't even really get a good look at her. That would have been like, that would have been yeah. a nice touch if the same actress who played Heather played yes. um, Brenda like in, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Now you're talking, yes, two Winona writers. Yeah, in that vibe of like, yeah. I mean, she not is is Heather reincarnate, but like something that she's close you enough. You can see her spirit in her. Yeah, I get you. I like that. You saw idea. her quickening. <laughs> he felt a quickening in his pants. <laughs> I'm but sorry. Anyway. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that's, that's enough for this week. Jesus Christ. It certainly is. I'm spent. Um, that's not to say we're not enjoying because we definitely no. are. Oh, yeah. I love it. I, I, I'm looking forward. 10 out of 10 would recommend watching this movie. This is a movie everyone should see. I, yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> we so it's yeah. our job to shit on it. Or no, to find, that's what to we find do. the nitty gritty. That's what there's, we do. There, there's so much. There's rich, uh, rich, whatever the fuck here, fertile ground yeah. for us to rip this fucker apart. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's, it's fun, but it does not stand up to strict scrutiny, is the, I think what we're we're looking at here. Those are my favorite movies. Yeah. The ones that you start like you start pulling at the at the loose threads and the fucking whole thing falls apart. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, it collapses in a pile of quickening <laughs> on your mom's carpet. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't either. No one knows what it means. <laughs> uh, God bless you, John. We're going to go wipe up the quickening. That's right. I'm gonna go, I, the, the, the sock is, is stiff with my quickening. I know. I spilled my Nestle uh. quickening on the, on the rug over here. Uh, we, should, we should shout out our friends uh, in the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network. Yeah. You should tell those folks, hey, what's up? We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And also tell folks to go check us out uh, on our own catalog and, and listen to us there. Yeah, yes. All, all the that. things all the things that John just said, <laughs> all of them. I reiterate them. Okay. Uh, Thanks for listening, yeah. and we'll be back. 